as you've heard, we are married to our children, I heard this morning. I read that in the email and I'm like, okay. So what we're doing, they're not actually starting this today, uh, they're starting it next week, but we're doing the same thing and uh, in different ways but looking at the same story. And uh, if you have children downstairs, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. But sometimes we need to actually go back to something in a childlike way and have a look at it differently. So before I pray, I'm just going to ask you to turn your phones off. Uh, Just refrain from uh, chatting while I'm talking. It's going to be a small uh, talk this morning, but um, so let's just do that as we pray. Father, it is obvious that there's a lot going on in this family, in this community. Lots of tears, lots of pain, also lots of joy. We have it all going on. And it is a reflection of your grace and your mercy and your love that we feel accepted and loved and cared for here. And it is a place where we come for love. It is a place where we come for acceptance. It's also where we come to grow in life and in knowledge and in wisdom. So, Father, I pray as we go on this journey into the future that we would grow with our children, but that our children would see something in us, not in the words that we speak, but in the way that we live, that they would be able to follow that and see that and grow from that. I ask you that in your mighty name. Amen. So, uh, or my title today is not in here. It's it's uh, similar to what we've been hearing time and time again this morning. And as you look around, you see the empty seats. You see the our journey into diversity came with a price, with a cost. And uh, there's nothing better than getting up to preach. And being handed a couple of you've been dumped letters before you start. <laughs> and you know what? I think it, as we've gone on in the years and our people have come and gone, there are people that you love that you will miss. But you pray that they will find somewhere to belong and to grow and be who God wants them to be. So it's an unusual morning. And uh, it's an unusual because we're starting the new year and... My message is about small beginnings. And as I look around, we are small. And we are at the beginning. I'm a prophet. I've been speaking for, I don't know, 25 plus years now. And uh, I don't know why, but it actually has got harder. (laughs) I'm more nervous. And, uh, and and stuff doesn't make sense. I write all these notes down, and then I get up here and go, who wrote that? Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> what does that mean? So I don't know what happens, but it, but it does. But I can remember one of the very first times I spoke in church, which was a big deal. Because I think I've told you before, there was, there was nearly a dozen of us all in our early 20s. And for some reason, we all wanted to be the boss. 
We all wanted that pastor's job. I have no idea what was wrong with our brains. So the thing is, is when you've got nearly a dozen guys and girls that are kind of moving in God, trying to learn, trying to grow, trying to outdo each other is what a lot of went on. So when you get up to speak, it's a competition. It's, it's not about, oh, the love of Jesus. It's about beating the young guy that spoke the week before and be popular. Let's be truthful about it. And I started off, and I like my analogies and stories. And in the early days, I used to just say a Bible verse to start because people wanted Bible verses, and I'd totally forget about what that was about, just give them what they want. But I can remember giving this analogy of some movie I'd seen, and I'm giving you the part of this movie, and I'm speaking, and I can tell that I've got the crowd. And all of a sudden, the guy at the back goes, Stop! I don't, I'll tell you, when you first preach, it's like, oh my life, I could feel myself. And I'm like, what have I done? I haven't watched that movie. Don't give it all away. And I'm like, you can't do that. And it was, it was Daryl Betts, and he was sitting 15 rows back, and I can remember going, I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> because all of a sudden, I didn't want to ruin his movie, you know, so... But I did ruin his movie. Well, I'll never forget it because I was in shock. But what it always brings me down to is when we go into the Bible, why don't we ever do that? Why don't we ever go, hold on a minute. How does that fit down? You're going to ruin the movie. Are we people that are looking at the full movie, or are we just looking for that one bit that actually just feeds us? That's that one part of them. Oh, I love that bit. I love that bit when the dog dies. Oh, it made me cry for a month. You know. Oh, I love that bit when they're on the front of the ship. <laughs> and it's freezing. <laughs> there's a bit, there was plenty of room on that big piece of wood. Why couldn't he get on it? I was, uh, I started a new book, I don't know, and, uh, and I kind of got, I got off Christian books, so I went into my sci-fi fantasy books, <laughs> and about eight books later, I thought, well, I probably should read a Jesus book, I was feeling guilty. So this is, this is the one that I started last week, I'm just going to, it's the New Testament in His World, Okay. It's audio lectures one and two from N.T. Wright and Michael F. Bird. Okay, and they are, I didn't realize at the time, they are top seminary lectures. <laughs> so I'm about 25 minutes in and I'm feeling giddy. Okay, I'm feeling nauseous because I'm thinking, this guy's t- talking a totally foreign language. I do not know what he's talking about. So I turn it off. And I go back to my sci-fi fantasy fiction book. There is a book that I read probably two years ago, and I have them all on audio. So as I work, I have these big earmuffs on, and I hear and I listen to them. And it was a book on how. And the same thing happened, but I went into six and a half hours of going, gosh, wow. The reason these two books stand out to me in me just feeling lost 
in feeling like I'm stupid, I'm feeling totally unprepared, was because I had no foundation for what the two of them were delivering. So if I said, where has Alwyn gone? I, no, no, I saw him here a minute. He's, I was downstairs. So when Alwyn talks engineering, he has a foundation. So when other engineers talk, they get what each other are talking about. When he talks to me, I've got no clue. Okay? If you talk to a builder about certain things, I'm pretty good on most things. But when an electrician or a plumber starts talking, my eyes just glaze over. Okay, because I just, I just don't get how they start to do the things that they do. And if we do not understand certain foundations about how we read or tell God's story, we may miss out on getting a full picture. I'm going to ask Liz to come and read. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from John 20 all the way through to John 20, not John 20, from 20 all the way to chapter uh, 23. Mike, sorry. She's doing both. Okay. Oh, yep. Okie doke. So, John 20, chapter 20, verse 1. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and I don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see The other disciple outran Peter and got there first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the knit linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side. Then the other disciple also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't realized that the scriptures said, he would rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying? the angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her, It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying, Jesus asked. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned towards him and explained, Teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. 
Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see, and he showed them his side. They were filled with joy when they saw their Lord. He spoke to them again and said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he breathed on them, then he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you refuse to forgive, then they are unforgiven. Thank you. Oh, somebody wasn't listening at the beginning. These troublemakers from Shallow Lake. Thank you, Liz. I don't know how many times I have spoken on the cross. I've looked at and gone through the resurrection. I, I don't know sometimes if I just go in for a portion of a story. But we're now talking about what do we actually tell our children? What, what is the next generation of this church going to learn, going to hear? How are they going to stand here? How are they going to worship? What are they going to cry about? You know, what, are, what are they going to talk about with their friends and as they get married and get older, what's important? At what stage will they become pharisaical? Does anybody know what that means? Pharisaical. Every one of us has a journey. And at some stage we go, I agree with that or I don't agree with this. And sometimes as the Pharisees are always known, they're holding on to something so tight, so hard in their belief systems, they miss what's going on around them. That's what we hear about in Jesus' story. How do I know that? Because I've seen the movie to some degree. I've tried to research it. People have taught me. I've read things. But the reality is, is I don't really know what it's like because I wasn't there. Because I, because I wasn't in that time, in that culture, in, that, in the context of it all. I did not grow up in Galilee. I didn't grow up in Jerusalem. I don't know the way that they do things. But I have an idea of what that looks like. So when we're actually reading something, how do I approach it? Because I think there are some basics for us, and we've said it a hundred times, and it might be even too basic for us today. But there are things that I learned yesterday that I had no idea about. I'd not looked at them from the certain perspectives of certain people, which changed things a little bit more for me. And in our journey in diversity, probably actually made me feel a lot lot better about it we are not in a place like we're seeing in Hong Kong right now we're not encountering uh, uh, processions of people what's the word gosh I've just got out of my um, everybody walks down the road in protest what protests <laughs> so, okay. like I said I'm having a pretty slow morning we, we don't know what it's like for our entire community and part of our nation to rise up saying something's not right. 
We don't know what it's like in Iran right now to be an American or an Iranian in the situation of things that are going on over there. And when, when I start to look at that, I think, do I have a voice to start saying what I think about it? Not really, because I don't know what's going on. I know what the news tells me, and I'm not going to jump on a Trump bandwagon. But what I do know is, is there's a bigger picture there. I do not know it. I do not see it. But what we can grasp from it is what those people must be feeling. Because we, we know what pain is. We know what happens when death happens. We know roughly in some ways if we've been unjustly treated, we know what injustice is like. Yeah, are you with me? So some of the parts of what they're encountering in these places, we get. But we don't get the extremes of what they're feeling. You know, I think of Josie losing her brother who was murdered. I've never lost anybody that way. I don't. All I know is she knows and has experienced and can communicate something in a way that I cannot. So when I look at the verse that we have just listened to, and it is about small beginnings, I have to then know about what were these people like? What was it like to live in a place of occupation where the way that they got things done was by power and pain. If you didn't go their way, they killed you. They put you on a cross. They tortured you. They took you into slavery. Do I understand that? No. Does anybody here know what that is like? So how do I grasp that? How do I start to figure out why would these people be doing and saying the things that they do? The religious environment. What is our religious environment right now? What is the church world that we live in? If we take what we have just done as a church in our move into diversity, because obviously we're trying not to say LGBTQ over and over again, so now the new hip word is the diversity we've walked into, and then I go and sit with a group of people from a different church down the road and explain that, I can tell you right now, be very careful before you start the conversation. Okay? Because... I actually had an accountant whacking me on the butt telling me to shut up in one office because I was in an argument with a lady. I didn't even realize I got that involved <laughs> until she started beating me. That environment, I grasp because something is, something's just not gelling here. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, but something about where we've come from what our parents told us, what our preacher told us, especially what our children's worker and youth pastor told us, and the people around us have created this. Do I know about the religious or belief tensions that existed while this was going on? We look at Bible characters like they're, you know, from the X-Men or from some superhero movie. I don't know. Do, do you have a favorite disciple? Look at yours. Oh, better think of one quick, because that'll look good. <laughs> do you know, I remember growing up, was it, it is the Marvel men, isn't it? I mean, and I didn't know many, but Spider-Man was just cool. You know, but now, okay, who was, who was your favorite, you know, Marvel character when you were a kid? 
Okay, let's do this now quickly. Four, okay. Hercules. Batwoman. I was going to say, she's, she's totally wrong. You see, all of a sudden, there is a cultural knowledge base that's just separated us. Holy moly. Batwoman is not from that world. <laughs> There'll be a big class in the foyer. How dare you? <laughs> the thing is, there's something about, I just liked that he could swing from things. But as I'm an adult and I watch them now, I love four. Okay? Why do I love four? Not just because he's got hair and I don't. Because he's funny. It's a simple, that's why I love four. He does the best jokes in it, according to as far as I'm concerned. And the big guy with all the green stuff that just says one-liners, he's great too. Don't even know his name. But do we have and do we maneuver through life looking at disciples in the same way? Because I can tell you this, you know quite a lot about your Marvel characters or your Batwoman or whatever it was. There were certain things they did. I watched a, 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 an English comedy skit that came up on Facebook of some English thing. And I don't know, you wouldn't know them, uh, Dalboy and uh, the Trotters. It's a classic English thing. They drive around in a three-wheel plastic pig. They're like these real kind of con men from London City. And they sell you junk. When video cameras come out, he's on the market going, Hello, darling, come and buy a video camera. It's from a Russian army base. It's this big and it hangs on your shoulder. It's, it's just classic English funny stuff. But there's the part where he does, there's a part where they're running down the street and you go, and this is in London and they're in fancy dress. And Batman's talking to the mayor. Okay, you've got you to watch it to understand it all. But Robin turns around to him, he goes, Batman, let's go. Okay, and that action was like, it said it all, didn't it? Because that's what Robin and Batman, that was like, yeah. I mean, now we're all like, ooh. But in those days, that, gosh, I'm lost with you, lost. It was a big deal. God's sake, Batman. You've know, you got, you got to do the overactive. What I'm getting to is in your disciples, I just totally squirreled, didn't I? Who do you like and for what reason? Do you? Okay, we've got a Peter. You, you can like who you want. I think there are parts of this story where I have to go into it and think, what, what's happening? Who are these people? They're just normal people. But realistically, we class them as superheroes in many ways now because of the things that they've done. But what were they doing that was so different? What was it about this story here? So you have got death. You've got slavery. You've got slaughter. You've got the churches of the time just constantly opposing each other in this time, in this place, as Jesus comes forward fulfilling God's story. So you've got this story that has existed, and Jesus is fulfilling it, and nobody at the time realizes it. 
it's, it's got to blow your brain in that all the things that are happening, we have seen the movie, read the movie, we go, well, he's doing this, isn't he? But, but when this is happening, no idea, no clue. But we don't take that into consideration, which means we run down roads that we may miss out on. The point of what is happening in this story, it's who these people are. It's what are their backgrounds? Why are they there? What do they bring to the party? What is really, really unusual about this story? If you start to look at the culture, you look at the standing of where people sit in a social system, what's really unusual about this part of the story? Can anybody tell me? We have a crucifixion. We have a body that's put into a tomb. And then we have somebody that comes along. There's nobody in the tomb. That person runs off. Guess what? Peter and John come running back. By the way, yes, you're correct, but this is the most piece of running that exists in the New Testament. Right now, more running happens in this little bit of Scripture than anywhere else. See that? Not just a good-looking face with no hair. It is Mary. You are correct. Why is it unusual? Somebody tell me something about Mary. Mary Magdalene or Mary Magdala. Anybody tell me anything about it? Sat at Jesus' feet. A lot of people sat at Jesus' feet. More? She was a prostitute. Can you actually show me that in the Bible? I don't know. We just called her a prostitute. The poor woman. You're a prostitute. I'm not. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what just happened there. And thank you because I couldn't have planned it any better. She wrote scripts. She lived to 58. And they can factually find that. I ended up starting on this and ended up reading for five hours about Mary Magdalene or Mary Magdala. And Magdala is like Jesus of Nazareth. Magdala is a village, just another fishing village down the road. And that's where things come into this. But so back to the story. If I'm there, the miraculous things that are occurring, unbelievable. I can't, you know, when, when I see us here telling our stories, that is miraculous in my eyes. Because in the way that Jesus lives and dies and is resurrected, when he speaks to his disciples and sends them out, doing and being and incarnate, being who he was, we are experiencing these things because of this small handful of superheroes. A fisherman, a, a, a doctor, uh, a guy that sold things, wh- whatever you want to call them as, these normal guys, but they gave up everything. We are here because something happened in this story that went on and on and on. And when Jesus talks about you will do greater things than I, 
we always think, well, everybody will get raised from the dead and this will happen and that will happen. A church existing in Canada right now, right here with us sitting in it, greater things than Jesus did. A movement that went around the world, greater things than Jesus did. Doesn't mean better, greater, bigger, expanding his kingdom. What we see here are people that nobody would have said these are the people that are going to be used. When we're talking to our children, do they need to know all the details that we may know when we're older? No, they need the heart of the story. They need to see that story within us. They need to see that a story that existed about God saying, I will come and redeem my people, happened through Jesus. That life of Jesus represents who God is in how he loves, how he deals with diversity, how he works with women in a time and an era where they were never even looked at or given the value. They should not be in the story. For the people listening and writing, it makes it uncredible. But for us, it becomes incredible in the actions of Jesus. Jesus is put into a tomb. Our children will learn from the book downstairs that a tomb is a small hole that is dug out of the ground and it could have shelves in it or it would be small and a body was placed in it. Linen spiced and smelling would be wrapped around the body. There would be just a small scarf or veil or a piece of fabric that was placed over the head and it was sealed and then it was left and basically the body just rots. It just rots and rots and rots. It is not left there in that manner. It is then later on when that body is totally decomposed, the family members go in, they take the bones, they place them in a box that either goes to the family home, like we still do a vase on the mantelpiece, I don't know if anybody does that, or it goes into the back of that tomb and then the rest of the family, as it goes on through generations, will move into it. The part within our story and in the part that is emphasized for our children, it's the part of this new birth. Uh, In N.T. Wright's, uh, one of N.T. Wright's books, it talks about how they found tombs very, very close to where Jesus would have been put in his tomb. And at the time of uh, when the, the clash of war was existing, a family obviously never got back to that tomb. So when the tomb was opened, all the linen was incredibly wrapped around bones that were lying in a tomb. So what you have is the opposite image here of, an inc- of, of a body that's wrapped in burial And literally, it's like the body just is removed and the stuff is placed and folded like it was never undone and touched. What happens at this point for us in this story is a promise that the curse of death, that the curse of death is defeated. As we teach our children And as we watch what Jesus does after his resurrection, in his words to his disciples, in his breathing the Spirit, you beggars, 
that's okay. What we encounter is what the story is all about, what the movie is all about. It's the, it, it, it's the center, most amazing, incredible promise being fulfilled of life being given. It's that curse of death being defeated of a brand new life and existence in God in relationship, in agape, the love of God for man and of God and of man for God, starting anew. Paul calls it the first fruits. It's a brand new beginning. We sit here experiencing God because of that gift of the Holy Spirit that those disciples went out with, lived breathed into other people. What we heard from person to person was this experience, this life-changing gift of love and acceptance that those people started. The main thing that our Bible, our story, our lives should be showing is how do we continue that? How do we how, how does my life say, go and do something incredible? Go and do something that the people next door are not doing. Whatever all your friends at school are doing, do something different. Because all of the stories that lead up to this moment are phenomenal if you dig deep. If you, if you look at who they were as people, you start to see that they were just... means for, oh, am I back on? What it means for our children to be in this environment. Does it matter if they're coloring? Does it matter if they're kind of running around now and then? Is that, are we going to make them sit in rows? Or are we going to let them experience who we are in God and who we think God is? And who we uh, receive into our family and why we receive them into our family and why we don't put restrictions on people that come into our family. This part of this text here that I've just butchered is really showing that the heart is about is how do we live like Jesus lived? How did the disciples take that and implement it? How did the Holy Spirit just totally blow away what existed in the time and still exists and can still change lives. The first time we see Jesus doing this act after his resurrection, all he's done is told people on a road, all these Old Testament scriptures that you understand have just been fulfilled and their eyes are opened. As we come to this table today, it is small beginnings. It is new beginnings. And we've believed and we've stood by beliefs and understandings to get where we are. But when I hear stories and I see children's lives and I see people that maybe won't be accepted in many other places being accepted here, 
I really do feel like I'm in that story. I really do feel like I'm doing a good job. There I may not be the smartest cat in town. And yes, some of N.T. Wright's seminary stuff are going to blow my brain. But I don't have to worry if my kids know how to love. That little baby in that belly probably is going to be super smart because you two are. But nothing works better than a hand that says, I'll walk with you. I care about you. A phone call. We know the basics. When we come here today, our new beginnings, you're very brave to still be here. Still very brave to have a reputation of being rebels in a revolution. Everybody in that book that we just read about was a radical, was a leader in a revolution, was probably rejected from their family, was totally rejected from their community and their society, and they keep moving forward because they saw something in Jesus. When we take this, is that is what we are following. Let's pray. Father God, your son Jesus showed us through his life and his actions, who you are. Through him rising again, we see that death does not bind us or hold us. You defeat it. And even though I am not 100% sure of what the future looks like in the second coming or what will happen in the future for us, what I do know is that you are there for us and that the image of Jesus we have shows us something new, even if we can't explain it. Shows us a complete new genesis where you have come to bring your communion with us back together in unity. So Jesus, I pray for all of us in pain, all of us struggling, all of us wondering where we're going and am I doing enough? I use the same words that Mary spoke. I am your servant. And I will serve and do whatever you ask of me. Let that be our prayer that our eyes would open. And more than that, we would start to learn about our scriptures. To back up what we believe. To be able to stand there and say to people, Jesus did this for this reason. Do you want to learn about it? Amen. Please come forward. Is the wine with the rest?